see you. Uh, welcome back if we've seen you before. Special welcome to you if you're new. We're going to stand and worship and get our service. dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. So we wait, we wait for you. 
get to be your bride, that you came to rescue us and to establish a relationship with us, that marriage is that great illusion that emphasizes that great relationship that you came to restore, along with other ways that you described it, but we are one in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the scripture that was read. Thank you for what we're about to hear. Thank you for our placement. May you do your work today. May you put, put us in position where we're receptive, that all our affections would be pulled towards Christ and made new. And it's for your wonderful and perfect name we pray. Amen. You can uh, stay standing. I'm going to dismiss the kids now if you're uh, grades five. Uh, K through 5, uh, Matt is back there, and you can go meet him, and he will lead you on. Well, as the kids are heading out, um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm always glad to come to church because every Sunday is sort of like that, that marker in the week that says... Uh, yeah, uh, God still reigns on his throne, and uh, God is uh, the source for everything that we need, because to be honest with you, the last six months have been a little wacky, to say the least. And uh, sometimes I feel like I'm losing my mind. I lose my keys. Uh, I forget where I park my car. I even owed my friend John Barrett $200, and I forgot to pay him. He reminded me the other day, and then he said, yeah, uh, you can buy lunch now. So it's disorienting for sure. And sometimes uh, on a more serious note, we think how do we handle the stresses of what we're going through? And we're not unlike churches from uh, days gone by. And certainly when the Apostle Paul was speaking to churches, he had words to say that said uh, encouraging things that helped us to stay tuned, to stay on track, to keep our minds. Now some of you may have decided, you know what, I, I, I've had to take up drinking because it's just too much. The Apostle Paul said, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And if that wasn't enough, he spoke it again in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And that's how we keep ourselves from getting disoriented, isn't it? It's how we stay focused on where we're at and what we're about. So Brian asked me to stay up here and, and sing with you psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Somebody hopefully, prayerfully, will turn my mic off as we're singing. And let's just turn our attention uh, to the words of this hymn as we sing it together. Be thou my dear. 
Go ahead and have a seat, you guys. Very good. And as uh, we sang that hymn together and we're attending to God's word and we're trying to calibrate our spirits with his, um, I, I, I want to just uh, declare something that I, I think is a, a, a form of praise and uh, also a petition. Um, we've been praying for our friend Cliff Votoff for a very long time. And he's been experiencing some pretty debilita debilitating symptoms that have sidelined him for uh, a number of months. And I was so gratified this morning to have Cliff share with me that there was a, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, a medical malfunction. There was uh, medication that was creating these issues in his life and he was able to get it sorted out and here you are and life is good yeah so I, I certainly wanted to celebrate that with you guys and um, uh, make you aware uh, that um, your prayers uh, have not been in vain I also want to be praying for uh, uh, Bob Martin and his family. We had a vigil last uh, week at the end of the service, and we were trying to uh, just bring them before the throne of God. And I talked to Bob a couple of times since Linda passed, uh, if you weren't aware. And uh, he said, you know, God was really with us in that. And we felt the prayers of all the people praying for us. And uh, it really helped us to have peace with her going to be with the Lord. Uh, so that, that's been, you know, that's obviously been a struggle uh, for a lot of us who uh, know Bob and Linda. And the, the, the peace that they have and the hope that's alive, I'm grateful for that. Um, if you have prayer concerns or anything like that, please, um, we have a, like a guest book out back. We're trying to figure out how we can best do things. So that's one way you can, you can uh, include them. The other way is just to text us or call us or email us or just tell myself or an elder at the end of the service uh, what's on your heart and your mind. So before I begin the message, I'd just like to take uh, this moment and sanctify it before the Lord. Would you bow with me? Our Father, we are grateful that you are our vision and you are our guide. We're thankful, Lord, that as we gather in this sanctuary, it is a way of separating ourselves from the cares of the world and focusing our attention upon you and not only that, uh, who we are in our relationship with you and with each other. You tell us in that hymn that we just sang that we are your true children. And we thank you, Father, for that identity that it creates for us. We celebrate alongside Cliff for the good news about uh, the medication and the symptoms it's created. And now we're thankful that he's regained mobility and things that uh, he had thought he might lose uh, in this life forever. And we thank you, Father, for being with uh, friends and family of those who are grieving right now alongside the Martins and others that I know are struggling along those lines and other situations. I pray that you would attend to their hearts and show them your comfort, Lord. 
Lord, as I prepare to uh, bring your word into, uh, uh, into being in this room, uh, as your messenger, I pray that what I say would be reflective of your heart and that you'd help our hearts to be open to receive it. And we ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all. A few more faces here today. Glad to have you guys with us. Some, uh, some of you guys maybe uh, haven't been here in a while, so it's awesome to, to kind of reconvene again with you. Well, we've been doing a, a kind of a two-part message series on um, our, our minds and how it is that we can kind of keep our presence of mind while we're uh, trying to go through this uh, season of quarantine and like I mentioned before, we all have our personal struggles for sure. And, um, and we need to pray for one another and lift up one another. Uh, by the way, uh, some of you have been praying for my son Christian who went uh, to the Republic of Georgia again, back to the job that he was at prior to COVID. And uh, he did get over there successfully, so thank you for the prayers. However, being an American, he has to stay quarantined in a hotel for eight days uh, so he's on the eighth floor of a hotel somewhere in the city of Tbilisi, which you probably never heard of. I know I never heard of it before he went, uh, but now I know about it. And so I've been talking to him on the phone every day, and he said, uh, I can't leave the room. I can't talk to other people. I am stuck here 24-7 for eight days. And I said, well, you, you got your computer? And he said, yeah, but the Internet's kind of sketchy. Um, but I have a few books, and, well, I'm going to just unpack all my stuff and just get settled in here because it's just so disorienting just being in this room by myself in this way. And he said, I probably shouldn't have done this, but what I did, I got online, and I looked at what people go through when they're placed in solitary confinement. And he said, I should have done it because I got my mind working in the wrong way. And one of the features of solitary confinement that is so inhumane, he said, was the fact that you are in a space where you are disconnected from everything. And a matter of fact, a lot of times there is no light in there, so completely sensory deprived. Some people for months on end, if you can imagine. And he said that whenever they interviewed people who had gone through that, they, 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 they would indicate that the one of the first things that would, would begin to fade away was their sense of self, their identity, and how that would kind of disintegrate to the point where they didn't even remember who they were anymore. And if you can only imagine that, and I said, yeah, Christian, you probably shouldn't have read that, but you are not in that space. You are in solitary confinement-ish, sort of, kind of, but um, you can talk on your phone, and you can look out the window, and you can see the sun. And he said, you know, even with that, I feel dislocated from, from there, from my work here. I just feel like I'm in that limbo space. And uh, he said, of course, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm reading some things that um, are devotional that are keeping me centered in where I need to be. So I'm grateful for that. But what he said about being disconnected from place and how all of those reminders that prompt us in any given day about where we are situated, it could be in a church building, it could be in our home, they remind us, don't they, of who we are 
And when we come into this place, we are reminded of whose we are. And not only that, <clears throat> as we come into this place, we also leave uh, uh, an environment where it seems like everybody is divided against one another. And as a result of that, uh, we find that there is a lot of hostility, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustration that people are carrying with them everywhere that they go. And as a believer, we know that those things really do work against us. And as we carry that stuff uh, alongside other people, as believers, we have to ask the question, what do we do with it? Should we be angry with other people all the time, especially if they are different? Well, there's no question that whenever you go through something as disorienting as what we've gone through, we do get frustrated we do get depressed, and we do get confused. And those are just, psychologists will tell you, that is a recipe for anger. And the Apostle Paul, whenever he was writing to several churches about different circumstances, one of the things that he was dealing with, believe it or not, were the issues of divisions, you know, this group versus that group. Um, and the church that he was specifically writing a lot of letters to was a church at Corinth. At this church, people were, well, they were kind of pitted against one another. They were creating, in a sense, divisions in the body that were actually breaking the church up. And as a result of that, Paul had to respond. Now, the only problem with Paul responding was it seems like a number of people were upset with him. And as a result of that, he had to kind of help them get clarity on where he stood in relation to his heart with them and the concerns that they had. <clears throat> now, as he's trying to just sift through all of this, he wanted to clarify something. And that is, I am not the enemy. And as he was responding to the, the, the different uh, concerns that people had, the different, I mean, if you can imagine the Apostle Paul having a YouTube channel or a Facebook page and people just starting to say, Paul, uh, you know, you are, you're an egomaniac, or Paul, you are misguided, or Paul, you are, uh, you're not a good speaker, or Paul, you're not very impressive looking, and it just got worse from there. That's essentially what Paul was going through. I don't know if you can relate to any of that at all, uh, but my guess is that the concerns that the Apostle Paul had for this church are probably some of the same concerns that we bring into this room. And so if you have your Bibles with you, let's take a look at something that he said in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And I accidentally put the wrong contacts in, so I got two close-ups, because I have one far away and one close-up, because, well, people around me that I work with say, Leonard, you're getting old. And I'll just say I resent that a little bit on the record, but the truth is, I kind of am. So I'm going to turn around and read this. And this is what Paul said to churches that, to a church that was really struggling with people fighting with each other and particularly him, himself, he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, you may be reading that and saying, I'm not sure what to do with that. And maybe when they first heard that, they're like, that sounds really good, but what, what do you mean? And how does that really play out? And what are these weapons? And what are they good for? Well, I wanted to um, share some thoughts along those lines. As, um, as you and I are going through this, <clears throat> this season <clears throat> and all of these things that seem to be happening in that church are, are, are cropping their head in, in, in our own church, in our own lives, in our own relationships, in our own world. And as Paul is saying, we don't war, wage war against flesh and blood. Well then, what is the war that we are waging here, Paul? And Paul wanted to describe something that I think... Um, is, an, is, is a conflict that the dividing lines don't go between people as much as the conflict that is going on inside of our minds. And as Paul is looking at the people who he's addressing these issues with, he recognizes that the problem is much deeper than just the surface issues of differences of opinion about things. <clears throat> he said it's much more profound because there's actually an enemy in play here that is not of this world. He is a unseen yet very powerful evil being that is basically trying to rob us of everything that is our birthright being created in God's image and likeness. And as this being is at work, he's at work in the world, and he is at work in our lives, and Paul is saying, I want to help you with that. Now, I know that as we look at the online presence of different people, and as we maybe perhaps have that presence ourselves, and we see sometimes people say things that are hurtful and painful, whether it's online or off, and we get a little frustrated. But the, but the problem isn't so much what other people are saying about themselves, but sometimes it's what we say about ourselves. We don't really have, we don't really need any help saying things about ourselves that are, that are negative because, well, we all have things that if we look in the mirror, we're like, yeah, I feel regret about that. I feel shame about that. I feel guilt. If I only were better looking, if I were only more attractive, if I only had, you know, more money, or if I only had this sorted out in my life, if only people liked me more, if only I didn't say things that sometimes rub people the wrong way. And the litany just goes on and on and on. And at times, when we think about those things that, pertain to ourselves and how it is that we face life, we're not fully aware that there is an evil one who is just sort of dumping gas on that fire and expanding it out into a way of understanding our own identity. And Paul says that is a big part of the problem here. Now, 
my, my wife was walking uh, down the aisleway of a store, and stores, you know, have arrows pointing in different directions. And uh, there was a person who was uh, going the wrong way. And another person came from the other direction. And in response to their violation of the rules, they just let fly all kinds of profanity. And they just laid this person low. And my wife was so taken back by how it was that this person <laughs> had responded to that person. She's like, I, I, I just, I, I, it was mind-boggling that that violation warranted that kind of a response. And she said, I, it, it just, it didn't make, I, it sort of locked me up for a second because it just didn't make any sense. And my only thought was that there are a lot of people who are carrying around a lot of stuff. And sometimes it just overflows into a trigger moment. Maybe you've had that. I know I've had my moments where it's just kind of all inside and then the wrong person or the right person says the wrong thing or the wrong person says the right thing or however you want to put it. And then out it flows. And that's where we don't want to be, is it? So the Apostle Paul looks at the carnage that that creates. And he reminds us that it is really the result of a battle that is going on in our hearts and minds that just flows into everyday life. And the symptoms are people flaming one another, people saying things that, well, because they are online perhaps and nobody sees them and they don't have to confront their accuser, they can, they can just let it fly. As he says that, he tries to prepare us for how we can respond. And what are the weapons that we need right now? And how do we use them? There was a, a, a Navy SEAL who was talking about in an interview how it was that they trained for their operations and obviously they were getting into some very difficult, challenging, and obviously deadly, deadly situations. And in the course of their preparation, um, this one Navy SEAL said these words, the key to success in battle is to develop a sound mind that performs well in high-pressure situations. The physical battle is important, but the mental, the mental uh, is what distinguishes the great from the rest. So when the bullets start to fly and you start to fall under, fail under pressure, developing the mind is crucial to survival. The main building blocks of a sound mind is having the discipline to carry out the necessary tasks of the day. Things that are easy to forget, but essential for survival. For a soldier in battle, you must make sure your weapons are in proper working order. Take care of your weapons, and your weapons will take care of you. Now, what did the Apostle Paul just say? He said, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. And so how is it 
that we take hold of our weapons and apply them in any circumstance. Well, when the Apostle Paul is writing this, he says the battle isn't between people. It's with our adversary. And it begins in our minds. And Paul writing in another letter, the letter of Ephesians to another church, one of them that I just read the, the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs uh, scripture from, he writes about this in closing out his letter. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 10 uh, through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And essentially what he's doing is commenting in some ways about what he said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. As he describes this, he gives us a little bit of more of an indication that there is an adversary. And some of you may have instinctively said, yeah, this time that we are in is just a weird moment. Some people even believe that this is a harbinger for the very end or the coming of Jesus, which we just sang about. Other people are just confused because it seems like everything is just out of whack. Socially, politically, you name it. Every part of our existence seems to have just gone into chaos and madness. But that's exactly what our adversary wants. And he works in all of these areas to make that happen. He works in the realm of politics. He works in the realm of uh, social differences. He works in the realm of things economic. He works in the realm of your home and your soul. All of those things he dislikes in a way that the scripture can only describe as a roaring lion who likes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, I wish it were so that we didn't have an adversary like that, but the fact of the matter is, I think we would all agree that you can see the telltale signs of his presence everywhere. Anything that is working to undo that thing that God said in Genesis was good or very good, he wants to create chaos. He actually wants us to feel isolated from one another, isolated from God, so that we lose our identity and we lose our sense of place and we lose our sense of who we are. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to help you come correct on that. Now, if you read the rest of Ephesians 6, we know that you have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. You have the, um, the, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And you have the shoes that present the gospel of peace. And all of those are just metaphors from a warfare image that is appropriate for our struggle that Paul applies so that you and I can say, 
all right, the helmet of my salvation. That means that God has saved me. He has pulled me out of the power and the clutches of darkness, and he has transferred me into his wonderful light and kingdom. The belt of truth means that I am grounded in the things of God, and it defines me. And the sword of the Spirit is a way of just cutting through that which is true and that which is false and helping us to live in the way that we are called to live. Well, I'll expand on that on another sermon perhaps. But I want to go back to that image of the strongholds and the weapons that are being waged against those strongholds. Because he says that they have the power to destroy them. But what are the strongholds while we're at it? Well, I would say that it is anything that is keeping you feeling locked down, feeling oppressed, feeling like you are disconnected, disassociated, whatever the case may be. But here would be an example. There is probably with a lot of us a stronghold of anxiety because we're just confused about what is happening in society, what my responsibility is, what my role is. Uh, try being a teacher right now. Not really clear on, 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 on what my responsibility is or what my role is. I just know that we have kids to teach and where I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. If that doesn't produce anxiety, I don't know what does. If you're a police officer and the message is being telegraphed to you on all fronts media-wise, uh, we need to get rid of you. You're asking the question, who am I? What am I called to do? What is my role? What is my responsibility? If you're a pastor, you're looking at everything that's happening in the world and in the lives of your people, and you're wondering, what is my role? What is my responsibility? What, what are the expectations under these conditions? And, and in, in my field, pastors are very much in a fight-or-flight mode because they feel so paralyzed by the uncertainty of it all. And the Apostle Paul says uh, that could be a stronghold, a stronghold of anxiety that maybe says you need to get grounded in your identity. You need to get in that place. Here's another stronghold. Just negative self-talk. I mentioned that a minute ago about how we can look in the mirror and we can say all these things about ourselves only to have the devil say, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. They can be addictions or compulsions. Maybe, maybe some of you have taken up drinking during this time, like I mentioned before, and I kind of say that half seriously. Or maybe there's compulsions where you just can't control your thoughts or your actions. Maybe your stronghold is something that the Bible says you need to repent of. And the reason why the Bible says you need to repent of that is because it is getting in the way. And the Apostle Paul says there are strongholds and there are weapons. How are the weapons that you use each day working for you? And how would I know what those weapons were? Well, I think a great way to tell what those weapons are is simply look at the first thing that you pay attention to in the morning. What is it? What's the first thing that you do in the morning when you get up? Well, you could wake up grumpy, or you could let her sleep. <laughs> I know, you knew that was bad, wasn't it? 
Okay. So uh, you could, you could, all right, lots of murmuring in the crowd. All right. Pro Mandy side, pro Leonard side. Um, maybe, maybe you look at your phone and maybe, maybe in looking at your phone, you're saying, well, I uh, wonder what's going on with people. So maybe get on social media, which I, I used to do a lot more than I do now. And it would be like, I wonder what other people are doing, and I wonder what's happening in their world. And already it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, they've, uh, they, they've actually done their workout. Uh, they got their kids dressed in the best clothes. Uh, they are looking really good, and they have got it all together. And I just have morning breath. And that's it. That's all I can say. And because it's a continuous scroll, uh, you could just sit there the whole time if you didn't have other responsibilities and just let it feed your anxiety. And you start your day maybe with that, or maybe you start with an email, or maybe you start looking at the stock market. Perhaps you're looking at the weather and saying, oh, it's going to get cold or cloudy. And all of these things actually are preparing you to face whatever's out there. Those actually become your weapons, believe it or not, because they sort of set you up to look at the day, don't they? They actually create little mini strongholds that say, yeah, my day started off really bad. I can't figure out why. Maybe the problem is just stepping back and saying, there is a war going on. And I need to look at this day the right way out of the gate. Now, some of you, I know you read your Bibles in the morning, and I think that's a great thing. Some of you perhaps need to get the Bible app and get it where there's a notification that says, uh, Leonard, you need to read your Bible at 7.30. And just read it enough to get into the frame of mind where you are thinking like God thinks. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You just have to read it and allow God to speak through you, to you through it. As the, as the Apostle Paul is writing this, he is saying, maybe this is one way to prepare your mind so that when the battle happens, your weapons, if you take care of them, they will take care of you. Maybe if you're a parent, you can pray with your kid before they go to school. Maybe if you're a kid, you could pray with your parent before they go to work. Maybe if you're a, a student, you can pray for your friends around you because they're also fighting that same battle that you're fighting. Perhaps one of the things that you can do is start going to church. It's not really that hard anymore. As a matter of fact, you know, if, if you're online, you could just stay in bed and go to church. Just watch it, you know, on your phone or watch it on your TV. Or if you're sitting on your couch, just a few feet away. And it's perhaps just a way of getting tuned in to your weapons. And as you do, God is saying... How are these weapons working for you? And maybe you're saying, how do I use these weapons? And as Paul is writing this, there is some more information that he includes in this passage of Scripture that I want to take a look at. He says, 
the weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world or weapons of the flesh. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. You know, a minute ago, I, I set out to define strongholds. And I want to just take this, uh, this, this, this second and focus on that. Because it really is a description of a prisoner who's locked not so much in a building, but in deception. There's a lie that has taken on a life that begins to define how they're looking at the world around them. <laughs> kind of like the news, right? <laughs> this sort of lie that tries to define how you should look at the world around you. But I kind of say that sort of half seriously. Because the lies are rampant. And they often have a lot to do with how bad things are, how much you should worry, how hopeless you should feel, how much despair that should begin to take hold in your heart, how much fear and anxiety you should be drawn into. And all those characteristics that I just mentioned that may be the fruit of watching too much TV, too much social media, or perhaps just being indifferent to the things of God, those things will happen because there's no neutrality here in this war. There's no Switzerland spiritually you can go to and say, uh, I just want to set this one out for now. The problem is you can't. Those things will take hold of you when you are in enemy territory, and you have no weapons. Trust me. I've seen it enough as a pastor. I've experienced it myself. I can remember being 19 and experiencing all of those things, going to a counselor and finding that they didn't have an answer for me. After talking to them three or four times, they're like, I'm not sure how I can help you. And it wasn't until I went to seminary, well, I went to college, and that helped out a lot, but I went to seminary, and I had a professor who taught theology and philosophy, and his defining passage of scripture that he clung to that really uh, was sort of like his, his scripture, his script for life was 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, and we take every thought captive for Christ's lordship. And when I started pondering that, and I still ponder it, and I still think about it, I asked the question, Leonard, what thoughts are going on inside your head that don't belong there, that are not from God? And what thoughts do you need to take captive for Christ's lordship and surrender them to him? And I wish I could go back to the counselor and say, I found my answer. It was 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 10, verses 3 through 5. And they might look at me like, what? You're quoting scripture? But perhaps they are held captive as well. And 
the thing about quoting scripture is, have you ever had somebody quote scripture to you, only they were sort of leveraging, they were weaponizing it against you? Like they were telling you something from the Bible that you were doing wrong, and it was a way of, of just them being righteous and you being, well, not feeling so good about yourself from an outside source as well. Well, chances are, if Scripture has been used in that way against you, maybe you don't really want to take a Scripture and apply it the right way. Because it is intended to be weaponized, just not against other people, but against our adversary. That is where the Scripture brings potency to the attacks that we have against that unseen adversary who's telling us, whispering to us, did God surely, surely God didn't say. Surely God has another idea. Surely you're not that good, that great. Surely you should feel extremely bad about this. And all of those things that are whispered in our ear, God says they don't belong there. They perhaps need to be dealt with, and that is why he sent his son. Because his son, once and for all, brings everything that you and I need to re-identify with who we were called to be in the first place. But because we have so much misinformation floating around inside our heads, floating around outside in the world that we live in, we're just chronically confused and not ready for battle. But Paul says, it is the word of God that is our best and most powerful weapon. And if it's not inside you, it's not going to do you a lot of good. Now, I'm not saying you should become like you should memorize the whole Bible, but I would suggest that maybe a place to start would just be to memorize 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 and allow that to give you something to chew on. And you only have to memorize a verse or two, and my guess is, uh, if you've memorized your phone number or your pen, or never mind, because <laughs> we can't do that anymore, can we? But we have that capacity, don't we? And the more we have that in us, the more weaponized we are against our adversary. The less we have that in us, the more the lies keep us locked down in the stronghold, and the more confused we are. Paul looks at these things as a mental mind trap. They are not sourced in God. They are not in our best interest. And they obviously work against us. And then they cause us to work against one another. When, as Paul was saying to the church of Corinth, the enemy is not, it's not me. It's not each other. We have a common enemy, and we have to be prepared. We have to, have, we have to take care of our weapons so our weapons can take care of us. 
I always tell my kids that, you know, change oil in your car, uh, change your tires, do your maintenance, take care of your car, and your car will take care of you. And anything that my kids have ever had, I said, uh, if, you want, if you want it to turn to junk, just please don't, don't do anything to take care of it. But if you want it to serve you well for a very long time, take care of your stuff, and your stuff will take care of you. And the same applies to your soul. If you want your soul to be healthy, take care of your soul, and your soul will take care of you. And, of course, we take care of our soul by doing those things that keep us grounded and connected and rooted in the things of God. It, it really has been a concern of mine because the enemy just loves this moment. Uh, church demographers have said that attendance in churches in the United States and perhaps other places like ours um, plum, are, are plummeting 30%. Like 30% of the people that normally go to church don't go to church right now. And I would say it's not because church was such a bad thing, but it's because the enemy has said, I'm going to distract you with something else. I'm going to pull you out of whatever it is that you were doing at church, and I'm going to give you something else to be preoccupied with. And a lot of people have just sort of disconnected. When we come back to our presence of mind... And we discover that the word has some things to say about us. There's some very pointed things. How many of you knew this? The Bible tells us, I am redeemed. It tells us, I am loved. I am cared for. I am chosen. I am more than a conqueror. I am set apart. I have an inheritance in heaven. I am a child of God. And I could just go on and on and on with stuff that Christians don't even seem to know about their identity. And if you do, we forget. And so we have to remind ourselves what we have, we have to take care of. Jesus died a horrific death to win us from our captor so that he could reclaim us and call us back into our birthright. And as he does that, he settles all of those things that we say about ourselves that have to do with shame or guilt or addiction or repentance or things that are dark that we need to move away from. On that bloodstained cross, he says... This is the source of the power that you need to overcome. Never forget it. So we meet every Sunday and we celebrate it, never forgetting it. That what it represents is what he's done for you and I. When I started to believe, when I started to believe what God said about me, I began to see me as he sees me. When I started to believe what God says about you, I started to see what God sees about you. 
And it's not a set of glasses that I got from out there. It is a way of life that I found in a place like this, beginning with the Lord Jesus and just working into that new way of being that demolishes the lies with the word of God that enables us to be more than conquerors. Would you bow with me? Father, as I just bring everything that's the substance of this message to you and all that have heard it, whether we're online or whether we are here, I pray, Father, that you would use it to help us to reclaim our birthright in you and to discover once again those truths that maybe have gone dormant, to break down and demolish the strongholds that keep us from you, that keep us alienated and caught in despair and hopelessness. Father, I just pray that you would help everyone to walk out of here saying to themselves, there is hope. And it is from your word, and it is sourced in your son. May we leave here with that confidence because it is the truth that destroys the strongholds that keeps us from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Leonard. Thank you. Uh, if you want to get your communion ready, um, with everything that we just heard now, Leonard was talking about uh, weapons, and we, I think we all have the sense now that there, there's a, and I don't think it's too big of a word, a warfare that's happening uh, in regard to the things that we believe and the things that God would have us believe. And uh, Paul, Paul writes, it is to reiterate it, I know you've heard it a few times, but we demolish arguments in every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And the devil really wants that real estate in your brain. He wants that so badly because if he can have that, he can control what you do because everything you do comes out of what you think. And so we don't use verses kind of like you're in a Harry Potter movie, Second Corinthians 4, nothing like that. We, that's not what Paul does here as he's writing people. He's after that real estate. He, because everything functions by faith, what you believe, what you know, what you adhere to, where's, what's in your heart. We spent a lot of time over the past few years talking about our roots uh, and how we hear. We just went through the seeds and the sower. And so how you defeat that is by what we hear a few sermons ago, the good soil, what you put in yourself, what you drink in, drink deeply of this. God's going to tell you the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. He says, I am the door. And we can't enjoy any of those I ams that are true for us until we go through the door that Jesus said he is. I am the way. He even literally says, I am the door. There's no jumping a window or a fence into the kingdom. We come through him or we don't get in. God is made that way. The way is his son. So every idea in us that's contrary to him, 
beats killed, swept out, starved, made obsolete, rendered useless, so that we don't walk according to it, but according to God and his truth and what he says. Father, I come to you in this time, our sin and the things that we think that lead to it or lead away from you. A lot of us know right off the bat what those things are. Would you, Spirit, do the work of bringing those to the cross that they could be rendered useless and made nothing? And maybe for the first time for some of us, or a renewed time here and now, we would see you. You say the mindset set on the flesh is death, the mindset set on the spirit is life. And that life is in your son. That's your testimony, Father. Just help us to see Christ that we might believe, see the surpassing worth of knowing him, and leave all else behind that claims us, no matter what it is, no matter who it is even. Because the Apostle Paul gave us these words, and he said the Lord gave him a ministry to build up and not tear down, but he gave them a ministry to demolish strongholds. So as our sin grabs hold of us, let us tell it the truth. And live by grace believing the truth, drinking deeply, eating deeply of it. Do that work within us, and it's for your wonderful and perfect and powerful name we pray. Amen. spending time with the Lord, please do so. Start singing whenever you'd like. After the song, you can go and uh, retrieve your kid, your children. We love you. Thank you for joining us. Stand whenever you'd like for our last song. Our Father who in heaven reigns How great and mighty is your Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now here on earth as is above. Oh, give to us our daily bread. And keep our hungry spirits fed. May all our satisfaction be In you whose grace has set us free Give us hope, give us faith Help us trust in your guidance From the depths of 
that you've given us in Christ alone. May we be relying on nothing but Christ alone as the one open hand to humanity, literally, that you have given who opened his hands and blood spored. 
spilled out to wash us clean. His righteous blood and nothing but is enough. If we leave with no other encouragement, that's fine as long as we leave with him. You are the point of all things. Take your place within our hearts and thank you for such marvelous and perfect grace by which we have been saved. It's for your holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, we love you. We'll see you soon. Go get your kids.